Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, as a church, we, we serve as a team. It's not about the pastor who's up front. It's about men and women who love Jesus, they love you, and they want to follow the mission of Christ together. And as a church, that's what we're hoping for. And, and if you're not on board with that yet, uh, we want to help you take that next step. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. And so uh, know that my door is available to you. I think I said this a few weeks ago. Some of you may not know that I'm available to hang out. We can do that. They got a new disc golf course right across the street, guys. And so if you're into that, I'm welcoming you. Please uh, come and speak to us. We'd love to help you guys get plugged in. This is really about us doing life together. And that's what I'm excited about. Hey, today we're gonna just jump into briefly this idea of what it looks like to really walk in this value, come as you are, to have this attitude, this culture of grace. Grace from God and then grace through us as we engage with each other in this room, but also as we engage with this world that's outside of this room. They tend to look at the church and the first thought that comes to their mind, I'm pretty certain is not grace. And so what does it look like for us to stand in truth, but also to experience grace from God, grace with each other, and then grace as, it, as we move out into the world. And we're gonna to turn to Matthew chapter seven and pick up a picture of what does it look like to invite people into our lives? And part of inviting people into our lives is recognizing what we're doing to push people out of our lives. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six. And you probably heard these passages before, but hopefully today we can unpack them in a new way. So let's jump into it. Matthew chapter seven, Verses uh, one through six. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearl before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you, and would you pray for me? Father, I thank you that we are here. But Father, more than that, I thank you that you are here. But would we learn what it means to be here with you? And Father, because of that, we would learn what it means to be with you in the world. So help us, Lord. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the first value. It's invitation. Come as you are. And here's what that sounds like. If you want to put that first slide up, it says this. We're not perfect, and so we don't expect you to be. Because God's grace is so profound, he welcomes you to come to him no matter where you are in life. That this value has two directions. One, it's God's invitation to us. But second, it's our invitation to others. That as God has extended grace to you, what he calls us to do is to extend that grace to others. 
just as it says in 1 John 4, 19. How do we love? We love out of the love that God has given us. God's poured out his love into my life, and so I don't need to generate love. The first step that we need to take, church, is we need to experience love. Whether that's in our private confession in the morning or whether that's in community, whether that's in scripture, whether that's just in worship as you're listening to the song, we need to experience the love of God. And in that, what we begin to do is we become a well of love. Love that then flows over into the world. Now, if you're trying to generate love out of a well that is dry, good luck. Right, thanks for that laughter. It feels empty, God. It feels like a desert. When I try to forgive someone and I forget the forgiveness God's given me, it's gonna fail. When I am not merciful to others out of the mercy God's poured out in my life, it's gonna fail. The first thing we have to do is we have to be filled with the presence, the fullness, the love, the presence of God, the mercy of God. And then what, that, what it does is it begins to flow out of our life into the lives of others. What Jesus is describing in Matthew 7 is what keeps us from relationships with others. Now, it's a difficult verse that when you hear that statement, do not judge lest you be judged, we tend to think what that means is we can't judge anything. And certainly that's not the case. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, hey, watch out for lust, which is a judgment. Watch out for anger, that's a judgment. Pray for your enemies, that's a judgment. He's my enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. We have to make judgments and decisions in life. And in fact, this word to judge in the Greek simply means to decide. It's to make a decision. We tend to think of the word judge as a negative idea, but it's not. It simply means that here's two, three, four options. I've got to make a distinction between the four. And then I've got to choose one or the other. What Jesus is addressing, he's not saying go out into the world and never make distinctions, never make moral distinctions or choose the left or the right or right or wrong. What he's saying is do not stand in the place of God in your judgments. Do not assume you know what somebody is thinking, what they believe, and here's what's more important, what they deserve. What Jesus is addressing is the way we judge others and how the way we judge others actually precludes us from entering into relationships with others. There's certain people you judge, and because you judge them, and this is the value of who they are, well, you're never gonna enter in a relationship with that person, right? Why would you enter in relationship with that person? Because you've already judged them. You've already made a decision about their worth, value. What if God did that with us? I'd be lost. Because God didn't come to me because I had it together. It was while I was a sinner, while I was rebelling against God and cursing the name of God, God showed up with what? Grace. To enter into my life and to show me God's love so that my moral life doesn't flow out of my great decisions, guys. It flows out of God's great decision. It flows out of the gospel. And if you are moral today, you're moral because of Christ. You're moral because of what God has done. And so what he's describing in this passage is not never make moral decisions, never stand for the truth, but be careful standing in the place of God. And what he's gonna do in this passage is he's gonna unpack what that looks like. What does it look like to stand in the place of God? Well, that's where this language of plank and speck come in. And so let's jump back into the passage in, 
in verse 1. And he says in verse 1, judge not, that you be not judged. And then notice, he clarifies what that means. For with the measure, or with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's very similar if you do not forgive your brother his sins, God will not forgive your sins. The idea is the way that you treat others. It's kind of a sign of the way that you think God has treated you. And how has God received us? Did he receive us with judgment? Did Christ come into the world to condemn the world? Or did Christ come into the world to condemn sin and to rescue the sinner? See, what Jesus did, if he came into the world to condemn, I'd be lost. But because he came in to condemn sin, what that opens for me is now relationship. And what God has given to me, he's asking for that same reality to flow out into the lives of others. Now, here's the problem with this. And what we need to do is to jump to the book of James. James, in some ways, is a meditation on the Sermon on the Mount. When you read the book of James, he's really reflecting on what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And in James chapter four, James is reflecting on what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. In some ways, it's a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what James says when it comes to judgment. He says, do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, notice it says speaks against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. See, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, that seems a little confusing because he's saying when you slander someone else, it's not just simply that you're doing the wrong thing to your neighbor. You're actually standing in judgment on God when you slander someone. Now, that's where we have to go to the Sermon on the Mount to kind of unpack it, because it says, well, does that make sense? When I slander someone else, I'm actually slandering the name of God, because realize every human being is created in the image of God. And so the dignity and value of the person who lives next to you is not based on how they vote. It's not based on how they live. It's not based on their morality. The value of who you are is based on the fact that you are created in the image of God. And there's nothing you can do that can take away that dignity, value, and worth. Now, listen, that's not how I see the world. Because see, when I look at the world, I've got a plank in my eye. And I do not see the image of God. I do not see your dignity, value, and worth. Instead, what we tend to look through is the lens of, can we be honest? It's called contempt. The culture of our world is a culture of contempt. That I see you through your flaws. I see you through where you are wrong. And I don't simply say you're wrong. Contempt says you're evil. I now judge the integrity of who you are. You're no longer creating the image of God, but I see, even though I've got a plank, what am I claiming to do as I look out in the world? I see clearly. This is how God often is looking at us. And what does he do? Jason, you're such a jerk. Get your life together, man. 
No, what he does is as I'm judging the world, meaning not judging whether what they're doing is right or wrong, that's, that's okay. That's a distinction, right? But when I say, hey, you're doing wrong, and now you are evil, which means you are outside of the grace of God, that's not my job. I'm not the lawgiver. I'm not the judge. But I'm saying to God, God, I see it clearly. And listen, Jesus, we're right like this, right? Me and Jesus, judging you. That's it. <laughs> I'm on God's side. Come on, guys. Can we be honest? That's where we are, isn't it? Isn't that often where the church is? Hey, I'm judging you, and I am right to do it because God is on my side, and he is against you. That's a dangerous place to stand because is that how God approached you? Because listen, you were not on God's side when Christ came. When you accepted Christ, you had a serious plank in your eye. And, and while we cursed God, that's our nature, isn't it? We are em, we're at enmity with God. It's not like, well, Jason just needed a little cleaning up and I cleaned him up a little bit. No, I had to die so that Christ could come in and make me alive. That's what the gospel is. All of us were enemies of God. And so when you see an enemy, you see yourself. You see yourself before Christ. And so Jesus goes on, and we're going to take this back out and, and kind of unpack this. So, so look at verse 3. Here's what he says. Why do you see the speck? And listen, there's a speck in your brother's eye. There's something to address in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the plank in your own eye. So here's, okay, here's the speck, a little bit bigger than a speck. And realize in the desert climate, you always have specks in your eye, Right? You're always going to have something in your eye. So it's very normal to have a speck in your eye. It's very weird to have a plank. And Jesus is make, he's making a joke. It's hyperbole. He's overstating. And here's what he's saying. Your brother has a speck in his eye. Now, tell me, how in the heck can I see the speck? When I have a plank in my eye, the first thing this plank tells me is you don't see clearly. But God, I know their motivations. Jason, you don't see clearly. I know why they, she did that. I know why he did that. I understand who they are. I see through them. You don't even see through yourself, Jason. You can't see yourself. How can you claim? Do you see what he's saying? To see the speck in your brother's eye. You don't see clearly. That's the first thing the plank tells you. Second, there's more work that God has to do in you than he has to do in the other guy. Now, why is that true? You may say, no, I'm a better person than they are. Whose presence are you standing in when you say that? Hey, I'm a better person than they are. As you look at those who you see as enemies, I'm more moral than them. I'm a better citizen than them. Wait a minute, whose presence are you standing in? If you're in the presence of God and you can look at your brother and you see his sin more clearly than you, that's not God, that's you. You've projected who you are onto God. Think of that story, remember the tax collector and the Pharisee? They both got their hands up, right? No, they don't. One has his hands up, one's on his knees. And the Pharisee says, God, I'm so glad I see clearly Thank you, Jesus, that you've opened my eyes to see. And yet 
God has mercy on that tax collector. Do you know that? That's the miracle of our God. God has mercy on the self-righteous because so often that's me. And yet here's this tax collector and you know where he is? He's here. God, I am a sinner. He still has a speck in his eye. There's stuff God has to do, but he's in humility. This is pride. This is humility. This, having neither, is called self-righteous. Let's review that again. <laughs> this is pride. I see clearly. I have nothing to address. This is humility. All of us got specks. Come on. My speck may be brown. Yours may be orange. It's still a speck. We all have that. The claim is, I see clearly, and then you know what's evil? And God is with me. It's wicked to say, I see clearly. That's a fool. It is evil to say, I see clearly, and God is with me, and this is what you deserve. That's, that's what Jesus is addressing. And so what does he say we need to do? Well, look at how he unpacks this. How can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log, verse 4, in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log that's out of your own eye, and you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Meaning the first step, it doesn't mean we don't judge or we don't make decisions, but see, we do it in a way that's through humility. I recognize that the most important thing is what God wants to address in my life what God needs to address in me. And if I'm allowing God to address me, which means I'm walking constantly in grace. Because if God's addressing my sin, I don't want him to approach me with wrath. I need him to approach me with grace. And I go to the cross and say, Jesus, because you died, I have this sin in my life, forgive me. It's God's justice that allows him to forgive you. Do you realize that? Because Christ died on the cross, in some ways it's unjust for God to forgive you because Christ died for that. And so you're looking to the cross. You're looking to what Christ has done and God is giving you grace and mercy and forgiveness. And now when you're moving out into the world and you're doing that kind of work, that confessional work, you're walking out the world with specks, but in humility. In humility, meaning I do not know what my brother deserves. Because notice in verse 6, this seems a little strange in a context like this, but he says, do not give what is, do not give dogs what is unholy, which is a judgment, because he's calling somebody, in a sense, a dog. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, this is a parable, so not everything in a parable is something to grasp onto. There's a main idea. Dogs and pigs just want their stomach to be filled. If you go to your neighbor and you give him something called a pearl, and you give him to, to someone who cannot receive it, and he rejects it, well, you didn't approach your brother right. Sometimes we have to know where our brother is, where our neighbor is. And we may bring something to them that's valuable. It's a pearl, right? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Well, they can't see that yet. That's not where they are. And when it comes to how we bring truth into the world, we don't bring truth for truth, we bring truth through wisdom. Do you want people just bringing truth to you without wisdom 
and without grace? Heck no. I don't want you coming at me with truth, capital T, without wisdom and grace saying, you know, Jason is really prideful in this area. And if I come at him with my 12 gauge and I unload truth on him, do you think Jason's gonna be able to respond? Heck no, I know the guy enough. What does love say? I gotta bring truth through a way that's gonna allow you to receive it. For, for us, the way we engage the world that way is called the Holy Spirit. Be quick to listen. Now, sometimes we think listen to others. What if he's talking about the Spirit? Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. How does the world say we should respond with contempt, which means anger, 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 anger. Speak first, speak first, speak first. The Spirit says, listen, listen. You do not know what they deserve. You do not know where they are. The Holy Spirit does. Would you just listen to the Spirit? And then through the power of the Spirit, can you bring truth with grace? Truth with love? That's somebody that's addressing the plank in their own eye. So how do we move out into the world? Let me summarize this and we'll, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16. Here's what Paul says. And notice how he starts. It's the love of Christ that controls us. As I bring truth into the world, it's the love of Christ that is moving me. It's compelling me because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. Meaning when you place your faith in Christ, you've died with Christ. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so from now on, he's saying, we no longer regard everyone according to the flesh. See, Christ died for me, which means the way that God looked at me and he saw me was not just through my own flesh, my own sinfulness. God looked at me and though I was sinful, he, he loved me. When we look at people through the flesh, we look at them in terms of what categories they're in, right? You're in the wrong category. I'm in the right category. I'm beautiful. You're ugly. You're left. I'm right. That's the flesh, isn't it? But what are we rejecting? What God sees. And see, what God sees is someone who's in need of grace. Because how did God see you? You're on the left, you're on the right, you're evil. Now he saw the evil of sin in us. And instead of condemning us, he condemns sin so that we might be rescued. And so as we look out at the world, do we see the world through the flesh, meaning the categories the world gives you, or do you see the world through Christ? Now what does that look like? Let me share this story with you. Stephen Covey, he wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in this book, he shares this powerful experience that he had one day on the subway. He said he was riding on the subway in New York City and he was relishing. Have you ever been that? Just a moment of quiet. I don't need people around. I just need to go into the subway and sit and be alone. And as he's sitting there, this man walks in with these two just rowdy kids. And it seems as if he's paying no attention to those kids and they're jumping around, they're knocking his paper over. He just wants to sit in quiet and what happens when you're sitting in that scene? 
judgment. This guy is a terrible parent. Get it together, man. You're, you're infringing on my life in my space. Your kids are a mess. And as he was at this place of judgment, which means instead of listening, Stephen Covey spoke, which is always dangerous. And he said, sir, your children are really disturbing people a lot. I wonder if you, I wonder if you could control them a little bit. You ever been there? Well, this is what he said happened. And I quote, the man lifted his gaze as if to come out of some, as if to come to consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital with her mother died just an hour ago. I don't know what to think. I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And then he goes into self-reflection. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw things differently, I thought differently, I felt differently, I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart, notice, my heart. I could see him. He was, it was filled with this man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife died? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. What happened to him? The plank was removed. The truth came in and he saw things clearly. I want you to look at this graphic real quickly. Here's what we tend to see, right? We see what's on the surface. But see, God sees what's beneath the surface. He sees the traumas. He sees the difficulties. We see the behaviors. We see the actions. We see the color of skin. We see the gender. We see how they vote, how they engage in the world. We see the surface. God sees what's beneath, and the only way we can get there to see what's beneath is we have to learn to listen, and we have to learn to address our own lives first so that we can then ask the right questions to address the lives of others. So as we summarize this, this is what it means to come as you are. And here's just a few ideas that may, may help you to apply this. It means saying things like this, I'm in the image of God, and you are in the image of God. I need to be loved, and you need to be loved. I want to be known, and you want to be known. I have sin, and you have sin. I need grace, you need grace. This is the most important. I'm not God. You're not God. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. What if... What if church, just this small group in here today, what if we live that way? What if, what if that's how we saw the world? And then what if that's how we saw the world and then we started addressing specs? How would people respond when we started speaking up for the truth? They would feel loved. Just as we felt loved. When Jesus said, you're a sinner. 
It was the love of Christ that moved us to see where we are. Why do we think judgment will wake people up to see where they are? Guys, it didn't work that way. We need to use the gospel to move out into a world that desperately needs to see, not the speck or the plank that needs to see Jesus. That's what we need. And that's what we want to be as a church. Hey, this morning as we conclude, I don't know what God stirred in you. He's stirring a lot in me because I know I'm judgmental. I am self-righteous. That's my category. I am the Pharisee. I am not the prodigal son at this point. And so what, where, where do you need to turn? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to say, God, would you stir in me? Would you change me? Would you address me? Would you work in my life so that I could be an agent of change and an agent of reconciliation in the world? If you didn't grab the communion elements, would you please do that? They're available up front. They're also available in the back. And communion's our time to reflect with God and say, God, I, I want to be honest before you. There's stuff in my life that needs to change. And the first place I want to bring it is I want to bring it to you. And then as we talked about those values, the next place I need to bring that, if change doesn't happen, is to someone else. I need to bring it to community. And so wherever God is, let's spend a few moments in silence reflecting, allowing the Spirit of God to reveal the truth to us, to give us grace, and then together as the body of Christ, we'll share what Jesus has done. Let's, let's spend that time together. Father, I thank you for these words. Resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But church, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, meaning humble yourselves before the Lord. Then he is the one who will lift you up. Father, I thank you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he gave a blessing, he broke bread. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the relationship established in my blood. Let us receive it together.